0: What was the obstacle that came up that you couldn't achieve that task? And I'd drill into that. And then the next week was, okay, we're now going to work out how we're going to make that happen this week. And having some of that sort of military training there, knowing how to ask those direct tough questions, has sort of built where my business is now. No agree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Then Insomnia,
1: keeps us yeah. in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today I have a very special guest, Ben Kirk. Ben, do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, g'day,
0: mate. Bloody great to be here. Uh, I'm from Australia. I work as an accountability coach, which is a little bit different to our normal styles of coaching. I used to be an executive and business coach. I uh, worked out that I wasn't really super businessy, and one of the the ways that um, my clients hit their goals is I hold their feet to the flame. So we identify what they need to do, and essentially we have weekly calls to make sure they actually do it and and hit
1: their goals. Wow, that's amazing. So how much does someone who does that make like how much does someone who does that make?
0: Yeah, well it's a it's a pretty good hourly rate if you're to break it down because my calls are fifteen to two twenty minutes. We have them weekly each month. My clients will typically pay about fifteen hundred dollars for a quarter. And I really at capacity probably hitting about twenty clients a week. I like to have Fridays off. I like to uh, just work a couple of really heavy days. So you're probably looking at anywhere from 120 to 180K, depending on what other sort of courses and things I run at the
1: same time. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good living. So let's kind of go back. How was high school like for you and would you want to be in high school? Yeah, from
0: as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a jazz musician. So my whole primary school and high school was geared towards being a jazz musician. I did do some sports. I was a competitive swimmer, but it, I wasn't really super focused on that. It was, and I wasn't really super focused on, on anything else, to be honest. It was just, I wanted to play, play jazz. I figured that uh, someone told me once, if you can get paid to do your hobby, then you're never really working. And so that was where I aimed everything towards that. I went to a university, but I didn't actually get into the the, the um, diploma or degree course, so or or the bachelor course. And so I just did a couple of years there, practical course, playing jazz, jazz trombone. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's a it was a great gig. I mean, I come from a little town, or a city called Adelaide in South Australia. Back then we probably had just about 1.5 million people. Uh, it was a pretty vibrant scene. Like there was probably two to three gigs a week you could you could get. Uh, I certainly wasn't the best, so I was um, putting together a lot of the best musos that I could find to, to make a, a pretty decent band and we'd play mostly sort of jazz shows, maybe we do background music at restaurants, a few different types of shows. Maybe we'd do some Commitments, some Blues Brothers, Tower of Power, that sort of stuff, uh, and I had to supplement it though as a music teacher. So I ended up actually, it's about nineteen at the time, lectured in commercial music to. Um, I guess we we hear it's called a TAFE, so it's a technical and further education. So you have people that either leave high school early, they can come and study there, or you've got people that have been out in the job force for a while, want to do something different, want to maybe study to be a be a musician, and then they'll come to that course. So I worked there for for a few years wow
1: okay so how much were you making when you did that
0: well back when i was a jazz musician it wasn't great uh that's that's for sure we're probably getting maybe a hundred bucks a gig maybe we'll do two gigs a week as a teacher though and when i was uh lecturing at this uh, commercial music it was hitting about 52 dollars an hour and this is back in 90 so, okay, so that was that, good money that was that was good money that's that's enough to sort of uh give up on the focusing on the gigs and uh, let's focus on teaching. So it was contract though. So, you know, you're probably just working five hours a day, but that really made a difference to being able to live the lifestyle as a musician. Now, how long did you do that for? I did that till about 99. During 99, I took the opportunity to head overseas. Uh, so I did, did six months of sort of backpacking and, and playing around Europe. So back then you had something called the, uh, the URL Pass, so you could, you could jump on that, sleep on the train, cover a couple of countries overnight, go to a new country, do a bit of busking and a bit of cash that way. I just taught my way into a few gigs. There were some great ones in Nice through, uh, through Paris, a couple of other places, and then finished up in Norway where I had a, uh, an exchange brother. So I just uh, holed up there and played a few gigs there and caught up with some people and then my money ran out and it was time to come back to Australia. How was that experience? What did you learn? I think even though, you know, I was doing a pretty good job in the commercial music space there as a teacher and stuff, I think that it really, it really made me grow up quickly. Like you're, you're a reliant just on yourself. Uh, so you've got to plan a little bit. Where am I going next? Where am I next finding the next bit of income? Where am I going to sleep? There's a couple of park benches that I ended up sleeping on because I didn't plan ahead enough. or did you find a place to stay? I couldn't afford a place to wow. stay. Wow. That, that, was, that was pretty challenging. I'm, I'm there with a with a big trombone, a trumpet, all these sort of things, and that was, you know, my main possessions and just crashing out on the park bench, sleeping in train stations. It really tested you. But what was also great was there was a lot of other folks from from the US, from the UK that were also doing the same sort of circuit as I was doing, so I made some real lifelong friends that I just meet up with in a, a random location They're like oh that's that's kirky oh that yeah and we'll just catch up and chat and i'll hang with them for a couple of days and then we'll go go another way and yeah i'll bump into them again later so it was really cool in that way to i guess make connections and meet people and not be afraid to just talk to anyone but at the same time be comfortable spending a lot of time on your own in your own thoughts wondering well what am i going to do next so it was, it was challenging there's no doubt about that no
1: that definitely sounds like a challenge now, how long did you do that traveling? Like you, you did it for a few years, then you went back to Australia. So now how was it being back in Australia? I kind of
0: burned a couple of bridges when I left. I, I left reasonably abruptly. And um, when I came back, the jazz scene, my bands had sort of moved on. They'd found another band leader. And so then I started working for a Apple computer reseller. And I started working as a computer technician. And that that was completely out of my comfort zone. I mean, I've always known sort of Apple computers. My dad had one and I'd mucked around with them a bit, but I started work as computer tech, then worked my way up to a service manager, then a store manager. So I moved to Melbourne, which is on the east coast of Australia, and I ended up heading up their, um, arguably, their number one Apple store, and I ran that for a couple of years, and that was that was just amazing. That was another, another big step up because, I mean, I, by this time I'm, what, early 20s? managing a, a turnover over a million dollars a month. And I really had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was really doing about leadership or anything like that. I uh, had a couple of good mentors. I look back now to how I was and I'm a little bit uh, embarrassed by that. I probably managed a little bit by fear and holding people's jobs in, in my hand or uh, and I just worked 24-7 and we made it work. I mean, we got to number one in Australia and then I thought that it's time to call it
1: quits. could have sat back and lived on that one for a while even before you called it quits, like how was it now you're you're in a new role, in over your head and you're working all the time? How did you learn? How did you do a good job other than just sheer working a lot of hours?
0: Yeah. Um, and the working a lot of hours wasn't really being, being productive. I was trying to find my way as I did it. I didn't know anyone in Melbourne when I moved there. There's was, there was one other person from the company that, that I knew um, previously from from Adelaide. And so... I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't have any other friends to hang out with. So that sort of gave me the incentive to just sort of stay in the um, Apple store and, and just work. But how, how it felt, I, I was just, I was I was drowning consistently every day. There's always just more things that needed to be done. I didn't get a chance to work so much on strategy. Uh, it was just making sure the boxes were coming in and the boxes were going out and trying to motivate the sales team and, and try to get it moving. And it, it was just Finding my way through was that whole sink or swim. Luckily, we had a really strong head office, and they were managing a lot of the accounting and all that sort of stuff. A lot of the big bringing in the boxes, doing doing the ordering and that. So that really helped. I didn't have to worry about that. It was more just the the management side of things. But it was a yeah, that was that was tough. That was another quickly growing up moment. Now, How long did you hold that job? I held that halfway through 2000 to around 2003. The reason I called it quits was my wife was backpacking in, um, in Australia. She was from Sweden and we met. She moved in. Her visa was running out. At the time, I was studying to be a personal trainer and I thought, well, you know what? Let's go to Sweden. Let's see how we can make things work. And so she went back. I, I went over to join her and then I started working over there as an Aussie personal trainer and uh, had, some, had some good gigs there started working for a boxing gym learned the hard way about personal training i mean that's a that's a young man's gig i was lucky i was still young then and uh, just absolutely loved it absolutely just loved working that environment of people that are wanting to get better they see something they're like i'm not happy with this let's work on it let's get better really positive environment hard work you always got to be at 150% switched on entertaining motivating making sure they do the right thing holding their feet to the flames but I absolutely loved it. And I went full circle when I was in Sweden. I, finished, I did other things when I was in Sweden as well. But then I went full circle before I came back to Australia and did another, I think, six months or so as a PT before I came back, thinking that I might be able to work again as a, as a PT when I came back here. You mentioned it's a young man's game. What do you mean by that? Just the amount of energy it takes. And also your clients want to meet with you around, around breakfast. They want to meet with you around lunch times, And they want to meet with you around dinner time. And so what that means is you've got a family – And you want to work because you earn pretty decent money. I mean, we were earning at that time probably about 80 bucks an hour. And so you want to work through those three hours. So you never see your family at breakfast. You're not going to see them at lunch and you're not around during dinner. And that's if you want to work, you know, a a really good sort of six to eight hours in the the day. So, and the energy levels, because you've got to keep in shape as well. So you've got to find time to work out, but you've got to be just on. You've got to be, these people are paying you an hourly rate. They're paying for the best
1: of you for an hour and you've got to give it to them. And that's, that's hard. That's exhausting. I can see that. And then it makes sense that you work six to eight hours, but it's not straight. It's like, Hey, you have probably like the morning, two sessions and lunch, two sessions and two sessions. And in the middle, you got to like figure out and you got to stay in shape because again, perception is reality. And so you don't have to, even if you're not, you could be the best trainer, but if you don't look a certain way, I could see them be like, Hey, cause it's always like, I want to look like this person or because they look like this, they must know what they're talking about. So you mentioned you did it back, and now you said you were worried about like you're maintaining your job. Why were you worried? I, it was mostly just just the amount
0: of um, effort required for it. You're always searching for new clients. I had a really bad business plan that was I wanted to teach my clients while I was training them, with the idea that after six months. They should know how to work in the gym. They should know how to do their macros. They should know how to how to do their diet so that every six months they like, well, you know, you guys, maybe you don't know quite as much as me, but you know enough to really work on your own. You know what I realise now with the accountability side, how much accountability was important for personal trainers. These people really showed up those two times a week that they were with me. They really showed up and they worked much, much harder then than what they were able to do on their own. And I wasn't really factoring that mm. in. I was just factoring on, you know, exercise science and, and all the methodologies. And this is, you know, if you want to work on the outer part of your bicep, you've got to turn your hand this way and stuff like that. I was more focused on, on teaching those, those elements. So I kind of did myself out of some longevity of jobs there with the clients, but the, the gyms kept hiring me. So, you know, they kept on passing new, new leads okay. to me and stuff.
1: Hey, are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. Why did you decide to move on from personal training?
0: Because I started to have a family. That was part of it. I was always... Always chasing new leads, always chasing new clients, and I just needed to have something a little bit more stable. I didn't end up really finding that. The rest of my time, so I was ten years in Sweden, and during that time, so when I started out as a PT there, it wasn't it wasn't full time work. So I was working as a as a night, you call it a night portiere, so like a night watchman for a hotel. I was working as an English, as a second language teacher. And I was also working as a labourer for summer jobs in building decks and bricklaying and stuff like that. So I was doing a lot of different things at the same time. And out of those, as I was working as a labourer, I was learning a little bit about how to do construction. And so we started flipping apartments. So our first apartment was about 35 square metres, which is basically a studio apartment. We renovated that. And then over the space of those 10 years, we probably did about seven or so flips Everyone just getting a little bit bigger. I took on a little bit more myself, started learning how to do kitchens, got um, a kitchen architecture qualification and a, and a bathroom tiling qualification, just things I did along the way. It was pretty interesting doing learning them in Swedish, but I, I got those qualifications. So then I was able to have a little bit of a building company. So the bulk of my time, probably a good five, six years of that was working in my own construction company and at the same time I was helping international startups get established in Europe as well. So I guess, I mean, I just ended up having a whole lot of things going on at once and the personal training fell back a little bit because these other things were really generating a lot more income and probably required a bit more focus. What got you into it? It was kind of through necessity because as we were buying another apartment and then renovating it, it it's like, oh, I can learn how to do this. So I would just learn how to do it. And then when I was doing the labouring stuff, I'd end up getting better at a, at a nail gun. I'd end up getting better at a drop saw. And I'd learn how to do some of those basic constructions. And then when these guys were helping me do the renovations, I'd take some time off work, I'd be in there doing sort of gopher or labourer stuff for them. So I'd just be learning from them as as we went. And as more and more time went by, I became more and more confident to do the more intricate spots, whether it is the the plumbing or the tiling or the actual installing the kitchens and then it just word got out that hey we've got a couple of Aussie guys over here in Sweden they're pretty good at what they do and we just kept getting more and more jobs coming through and then eventually that just took over Uh, whilst I was still doing the international startups at the same time that was more of an evening thing and because I was running my own I guess renovation sort of business I was able to chop and change had a bunch of guys work for us and it gave me a little bit of flexibility I, I think I was able to, I love working with my hands, but I also liked sort of the, the business kind of stuff, this sort of the networking that's involved with international startups and, and those
1: sort of areas. I love the switch, man. You like out of all the podcast guests I've had, it's like you, each switch just is like, okay, that's a very different thing. That's a very different thing. That's a very different thing. Now you did the flips and you're advising startups. What from your background really helped these companies? Certainly nothing with doing the flips, but doing the doing the startups,
0: I think in many cases, having an Aussie guy on the ground in Europe really helped. I understood the Aussie way of thinking and or the sort of the the, the more Western way of thinking. And they just needed to have someone with their, with their feet on the ground in Europe that could hopefully make some connections. One of these was a, a very early uh, version of what's called a, a menu pad. So when the iPads first came out it was putting restaurant menus on there now the guy that i worked with on that he was a guy that worked for me back in the apple days and he he used to work for us for free actually he used to come in and he just he'd just come work for us uh wanted to get some work experience he was a good few years younger than me super smart guy though and so he started this 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 menu pad and he um he's just another guy that had had no fear he's just like "what well, i've got an idea let's see how big we can take it" And so I was sort of a guy on the ground there in Europe um, helping, a little bit of advising for him as well because he was a bit younger than me and I'd been through a few uh, lessons, I guess, had, had been learned by that time. I think maybe my Apple days gave me a lot more insight than maybe i give myself credit for. I was there with some of the big marketing decisions of, of Apple in Australia. So that gave me an insight there. But once again, it was just, just not scared to
1: jump in and, my way through looking back at your career like what has always allowed you to shift because you've made drastic shifts like how are you able to learn new things and how are you able to like believe in yourself to make these jumps
0: i think in some cases ignorance is bliss uh i didn't know what i didn't know so i would just jump in but one big part through the whole time i was in sweden was the support of my wife and she had that sort of i guess stable income Whereas I was then able to go and try my hand at these things. And through all that period, I mean, it was peaks and troughs. It was peaks where you'd get some really great income and there was those troughs where you're trying to fight for for something else. And so the support that she gave me through, through that period enabled me to sort of test this, build it up a little bit, see how it works, develop it, adapt. But as far as my own mindset, it was really just, I just believe that you can learn. So many of these skills, if you find the right mentors, you find the right people around you, you can learn. And and if you're curious, if you're curious to ask the questions, if you've got that, I guess, resilience and and, and work ethic, there's a a huge amount that you can accomplish, particularly if you can find those right mentors that are there to to give you those, you know, uh, we talk about soldiers' five tips. You know, It's the five minutes on this that's going to help me. What are the five things that you wish you knew? What are the five things that you can really um, pass on to me that are going to give me that? that leg up, I guess. And I was able to find those people. So how long were you doing the flips? Pretty much until the last couple of years that I was in Sweden. So that was about, I mean, I was there for 10 years. It was about the eight-year mark. Uh, We were doing the flips. I started focusing a bit more on the business side of things then, a bit more on sort of the startups. I wasn't really sure where I was going to go with it all. I was pretty happy to to stay in Sweden with with the building company, with the jobs that were coming through there. We were able to keep that going. And then when we made our decision to come back to Australia, by this time we had three young kids, Uh, we thought that coming back to Australia would be an ideal way for them to start their schooling. In Sweden, you actually get um, parental leave for 400-plus days per child and that's paid at about 80% of your wage. And so we were able to also have that as support through that period. That was all coming to an end and so the idea was to come back to Australia and from there I just decided that, okay, I wanna go back to personal training, see if I've still got it. The kids are older now. What were they? They're probably between three and six. They're they're older now. So yeah, let's go back to the PT work. And hopefully when I get back to Australia, I'll be able to use my quals. What I didn't know was that because I've been away for so long, all my qualifications had lapsed. So I was going back to Australia with essentially nothing. <laughs> nothing but a cup but a nice house in Sweden. Okay. So what'd you do when you went back? I transitioned again. I had a few contacts here here in Australia and I, I met a great, great guy by the name of Andrew Phillips who worked for Brian Tracy International. So Brian Tracy is a, is a really well-known author. He wrote a book about goals. He wrote a book called um, Eat That Frog, which is probably one of his best known books. Another one called Focal Point, which ended up um, being a company I, work, I worked with as well. He was a real sort of early thinker, in that space is about, it's about 80 now and still churning out the book, still churning out the content. So I started working for Brian Tracy International and that was a sort of corporate training. And so I was able to take, I guess, the, the energy and what I understood about personal training and, and how to get people motivated to do things. I used that as my, I guess, my standing point. But talking about goals and talking about motivation and then tying that into businesses as far as sort of corporate training goes. So I made that switch. It wasn't super far removed from personal training, tying in a little bit of the business stuff and it seemed to work great until COVID hit. That really had
1: to shift your business. How'd you adapt?
0: Yeah, I, um, I didn't adapt that well. I wish I'd been more onto the online components prior to that. It was still very face-to-face. So I hadn't established at that stage how to do video conferencing or how to do corporate training via via Zoom or anything like that. At the same time, though, I'd actually decided at 40 to join the Army. So here we have kind of like the National Guard, I think, in the US, uh, the part-time Army service. So I joined that and I was completing my training right up until when COVID hit. So what was great through that was the army actually put me on full-time when COVID hit. They, they knew that I couldn't do any of my coaching or training business. So they put me on full-time working for them during COVID and, you know, I'm not sure how much the military was involved in in the, in the COVID support in the US, but here in Australia, they're really quite instrumental in helping or closing down borders for a start, but also helping facilitate the movement of people to get back to families, how to facilitate the the airlines coming in and where to take people to the COVID hotels or anything on those lines. So that was a good couple of years of, of full-time work that, that I had with them, which then, once again, a huge shift me being a jazz musician, um, but it really enabled me to learn so much more about leadership. They're they they were, they're just such a great training organisation. So from there, that was where, when COVID ended, I was able to springboard back off that, tie everything together. And now we've sort of got to where I guess we are today with the accountability coaching, taking the, the sort of the leadership stuff, the ability to not be afraid of conflict, so asking those tough questions of my clients about, well, why didn't you do that? You said you are going to do that this week. You even time-blocked two times to do that. You said it was important to you. What was the obstacle that came up that you couldn't achieve that task? And I'd drill into that. And then the next week was, okay, we're now going to work out how we're going to make that happen this week. And having some of that sort of military training there, knowing how to ask those direct tough questions has sort of built where my business is
1: now okay nice nice i know i like that so now how did you start this business right and it looks like this business is just combining a lot of little bits and pieces from the past yeah man certainly is i wish i could combine in some uh some blues
0: music work or some uh, jazz music work in there but it certainly it's taken the best of so there's, there's a big element because what I talk to my clients a lot about are a few key what I call success markers, and one of those is health, sleep, and fitness. And that's so important for anyone who's got sort of the, either the hustle mentality or, or CEOs or, or, or side hustle entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general is to keep their health and fitness their sleep in check. So that's all the personal training elements. Then the other parts of that are routine, morale or motivation, and we've got productivity in there as well. And that's stuff that I've learned along the way and been definitely fine-tuned by my time with the military about how important habits and routine are. And so now I've just sort of delved in deep on habits. And so they're sort of the, 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 the key elements, the health, sleep, and fitness, the habit building, stacking your habits together to become a routine, and then Taking this idea about these one hour coaching sessions that I used to do. It's like, hey man, I don't have time or patience for that anymore. Combining that into 15 minutes, it's like we just get straight into it. There's no no chit chat, there's no waffle, there's no fluff, there's no BS. It's just like, right, this is what you said you're gonna do last week. Let's look at let's look at the app. Did you do it? Did you not? What came up? And then running for there. So I've really managed to combine it all together to find, I guess, a bit of a new niche really on this um
1: this accountability style. How have you grown this business? Because obviously you went in, but how have you optimized it? How have you grown it? How have you gotten better at it?
0: Yeah, it's been been a real transition because I had business coaching clients before that. And as I was trying to work out, how am I going to grow this business? And as I worked out that I'm not really that businessy, it was, I just asked them, hey, look, what's been the one thing that I've done for you over this period that's really made that biggest difference? And they all said that one thing was holding their feet to the flames, being sort of like their drill sergeant for discipline, you know, the productivity PT, just really holding their feet to the flames, making sure they do what they do. I was like, right, okay, now I've got all these people that have said this back to me. I'm clearly no business guru. So maybe I need need to sort of focus in on that. So I went to my previous clients, the ones that I'd sort of graduated from, from my business coaching I went to, I also do sort of individual habit coaching uh, via an app called coach.me. I went back through everything that I learned through Focal Point and then just putting back out there, hey, I'm doing something differently. Who wants to try it? So it was just a case of like, I'm trying, I'm trialing something. I've got six months. Who wants to just test this out with me? It started out at 500 bucks for a quarter and people were jumping on. And they thought that was great value at 500 bucks for a quarter. And then as more and more people came on, it's like, well, hang on a sec. Uh, I'm going to need to probably raise this price a little bit. I'm not really finding I've got enough enough time for all these people now. So I just raised raised the price. And then when you're looking at just wanting to have 20 clients, that's sort of where, where I'm capping it for the moment. And I've got other ideas now to grow out further, whether I take... Someone who's got a similar background to me might be hard to find, but if I look at what personal trainers, they're very growth-focused. They're also able to motivate and hold people's feet to the flames. Maybe some ex-army guys that are willing to come in. They don't need to be business gurus. They just need to be able to hold people accountable. So my next stage of growth is now either bringing these these people in under me, whether I'm franchising it out or licensing it out, Uh, and we've also got an AI algorithm which we're building which is – looking at all of my recordings of of, of my coaching sessions. The app that I use has got multiple data points now over six months to see this is what I tend to talk about, this is what people need help with, and building like a chatbot out of that, which is based purely on my style of coaching. So that's where the growth's going. The investment is now focused on that. It's really now just about, about keeping that funnel full. And referrals, word of mouth. Tough thing has been for people to communicate what I give them, because not a lot of people want to say, oh, I've got this guy that, you know, he really helps me. He really cracks the whip on me. He really makes me be more accountable. No one wants to admit that they need someone to really hold them accountable. And so that's been, that's been a challenge to, to navigate. But when people realize that, you know, I'm that sort of like that father giving the tough love, um, they
1: realize that is how actual, actually beneficial it is. Oh, I love that. So now let's look back. What would you say was the hardest thing you went through? I think it was
0: the time when I first went to Sweden and I was trying to find my place. I mean, I was—I li- literally had five jobs at once. I was, I was rollerblading at the time, right? So the best way to get from working as a night guard to the gym for 6 a.m. So I'd finished being a night guard at 5 a.m., I'd jump on the rollerblades, get to the gym for 6 a.m., teach my clients there for three hours. Then I'd jump on the blades. I'd go to the business um, language school. I'd teach English as a second language there. Then I'd jump on the blades, go back to the gym. Then I'd get a bit of a power nap in the afternoon, either go back to the gym or head on home. And and when I went home, then I was renovating. And, you know, there, there was a period that my wife was living in a room covered in plastic. The bathroom was in the basement. Of the, of the apartment building and because we were, I was renovating the bathroom, but I wasn't getting it done very quickly because I was doing all this other stuff at once. So I think that was the real tough period there of just balancing all these things. And, you know, it was just, it was just put, put your head down, lots of lack of sleep. Um, that was tough. Yeah. Now,
1: would you learn about yourself from during that time?
0: Yeah. What you can do. Just, just when your back's up against the wall, what you can actually do also how how important having that significant other that is there trusting you doing what they can as well and that is also willing to to do the hard yards to, to live in a in a renovated or half renovated apartment while you're off trying to bring in the income but really it was what we we're capable of and when the push comes to shove and the, and the deadlines there and I don't like doing all nighters, but you know sometimes you just got to do those all nighters, and then you think, well, but I'm going to be tired tomorrow. Yeah, but if you if you also switch on the next day, you can you can you can push through, and that's something that, that the army has also taught me as well is what what you can actually do with very little sleep, how you can keep keep optimal to a degree. Yes, you do need to have your time to to recover, but we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit to. People come home from work and they go, oh, look, I'm done. Done my nine to five. I'm going to go sit on the couch, crack a tinny, uh, watch a bit of TV. It's like, yeah, you can have to do that. And maybe maybe that's well-deserved. Maybe it's well-deserved that you can go go and do that. But what are your goals? Do you want more than what you've got right now? Because you can push on for another two hours. You can push on and hit the gym. You can push on and study something. You can absolutely do that. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have done that. And it might only be for a couple of years, but when you look back at those couple of years, you go, geez, that, that was a grind. That was really, really tough, but wow, look at what we've done now. I think that's what i really tried to impart on people. And now that I now that I coach entrepreneurs that are working at a capacity level of, you know, 150%, whether they're working 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week, I'm guiding from the other side now. Like these are already, many other times, these are already people that Absolute go getters, absolute high performers, and now I'm looking at it from okay. I reckon you've got another week of this, mate, and you're going to hit burnout. How can we start to wind this down? How can we look to delegate? How can we factor in some rest period for you so you can get back up to that hundred percent again? And so I'm looking. I can see it from from two sides now, but at the same time, you know, we're able to go. And yeah, look, I've, I've hit burnout twice. I've gone absolutely too much, too little sleep. I've hit burnout. I've had to recover. I think a lot of people have, have reached that, but hopefully now I'm able to see when people are starting to get there and I'm able to help them with it, but still keep them at that sort of top end of the game. What are you most proud of? You know, the, the standard answer is, is the kids. They have been able that, to- I school. give that as the first answer,
1: so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, just, just because what they've been able to see with the hustle, you know, they're, they've got a pretty good life, but they're, you know, had a period there where all three kids were hitting the gym with me. They're teenagers now, hitting the gym with me at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know how many teenagers do that, but they've grown up in that atmosphere. That's what dad does. They've grown up with a home gym, waking up in the morning to hear the iron clanking. They're like, that's just that's just what we do. And the fact that they're they're able to do that, the fact that they they look to do that, definitely very proud of it. Now, yeah, just the lifestyle that we've created from that period of period of hustle, moving back to Australia. This was, I guess, the exotic from Sweden. We've got beautiful summers. We've got a place by the beach. I am also just proud of of just pushing through that those hustle times that we made it work. We they somehow made it work and delayed gratification. Yeah, maybe at the time you don't see it as delayed gratification, but that was, that was what it was. It was just work hard now, get those rewards later. So I am proud that I was able to
1: to stick that through. Now, see an eighteen year old version of yourself walking down the street today, right? So today. But the 18 year version of yourself, what would you tell them? What are you talk, telling that Ben? That is a tough one because if
0: they've got a dream to be a jazz muso, I'd want to encourage them to 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 stick with that dream. It is, I mean, right now I'm doing what I love to do and I'm getting paid to do it. That was the goal of being a jazz muso was do what you love to do and get paid to do it. But what I'd tell them or what I'd tell me in those, in those times was actually knuckle down and practice more, man. But at the same time, have a bit more of a plan about networking and getting those gigs, really trying to meet the people that can help enable those gigs, whether it's getting an agent or something like that, rather than trying to do it all myself. I tell them to to focus in on the prize, not get that shiny object syndrome. At the time, I was like, hey, man, this blues and stuff is going great, but but there's some great other, other bands that are getting more gigs. Maybe I should switch to like, acid jazz or or funk or something like that staying true to the goals but really it was me at 18 i was not disciplined man i was not disciplined i wasn't practicing like i should have had i practiced i I probably i was told i had the talent had i practiced and been more diligent i may well have been able to maintain that that life as a jazz museo and not got disillusioned of being oh i've got to be a teacher and i always said and this is this is incorrect and and i hope people don't don't take that away but you know, if you can't if you can't be a pro, teach, um, that that is that is incorrect. But at the time, that was what I thought. I thought, oh well, you know, crikey, I've I've failed as a jazz music. I'm going to teach, and I'm like, well, hang on a sec. I've always said that if you if you can't be a pro, teach, then I was like, well, then I shouldn't be a teacher. I shouldn't be a teacher. But I probably should have because I was a pretty good teacher and I was a pretty good jazz muso. I just chose to switch it up. And the other thing is like. Yeah, I've been switching things up what every every three years. I've done something something new and crazy. I think now this is the longest time I've I've done something. And that's been through the school of hard knocks along the way. And um, actually maybe finding something go full circle and getting paid to do I love. What are your future goals? Future goals, like probably a lot of people, financial security. It'd be great to have the house completely paid off and then not worry about having to work just to earn a mortgage. I'd like to, the, my wife to be able to retire. I'll keep on doing this forever. I, I will always be working as a coach, always be working as a mentor. I'd love to find some people that think like me that I can bring into the business, that can take over. There's a chance one of my kids will, but they've still got to get a bit more life experience and um, before they can probably probably really do that. I've got one one kid who's becoming a personal trainer. That's really cool. I hope to be able to help that, that out. So um but really it's i'm just going to keep doing what i'm doing i can't see an end to it just get the house paid off so that i can do this wherever i can i can either do this here at home i can do it in a on an island somewhere and off off the coast of fiji or something and um, and live it up there six months of the year that's sort of the the main the main goal but through this I, I really want everyone to realize that they actually can't do it all on their own whilst i said you know when your back's up against the wall it's amazing what you can achieve but if you can find an accountability partner someone who's got your best interests at heart someone who's going to ask you the tough questions and push you that's what i want people to to realize that if we surround ourselves with these people there's there's so much we can accomplish and if i can get that word out and let people realize that no one's doing anything alone all these people that are at the top of their game they've all had supporters along the way mentors along the way and and people to people whose shoulders they can stand on so that's my message and I want to keep going. And yeah, I'm going to keep this coaching thing going up for, well, ever.
1: I love it. So thank you so much for sharing your story. This was a wonderful story. Accountability is important. And I hope someone who is chasing that music dream, you know, listens to you because I, I meet so many people with talent and they just need that little extra work can take them a long way. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Ben. Absolutely
0: welcome. It's been uh it's been a great chat. I haven't really had a chance to dive back into the whole story. You know, most people here of me have been, okay, this is the this is the coach guy. This is the accountability coach and and uh the jazz muso part doesn't really come up very often. So so it's really cool to get those those tie-ins I guess from from what I was thinking back there at, at high school to where I am now. And um yeah look people can hit me up on 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 LinkedIn hit me up through wintheday.com.au any of those places if they just want look a free call a chat can i motivate you can i help you think about who you've got in on, on your side in accountability set some goals be diligent get that delayed gratification resilience all that good stuff
1: another great episode thank you for listening hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot stay tuned for the next episode this show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at janaidikbal.com. Spelled J O N A E D, last name I Q B A L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no